that, you know, this very interesting thing here. Later on, come up, take a look. Uh, it, you figure out what it is, okay? It's very simple. It's, uh, the stone's been rolled away, and I thought it's just so clever. Well, I will still try to say something <laughs> even after that introduction. Actually, that was put up by Pastor Chi Ming, our young adults pastor. He did a video clip by taking parts from the trailer of a movie called Risen. Uh, it was released in Singapore uh, last week, March 17th. And so you can watch that movie. It's a movie about a fictitious Roman soldier charged by a historical Pontius Pilate to investigate the rumours of a risen Jewish Messiah and to locate the missing body of Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Joshua or, or for Jesus. It's an interesting movie. Well, the disappearance of the body of Jesus is called the most important event in human history. And that's the tagline of, uh, of that movie as well. But if any Roman soldier or anyone has found the body of Jesus, history would have been quite different. Instead of it being the most important event in human history, it would have been the most pitiful event in human history and the largest scam in human history. And Christianity would have become a religion, become a religion instead of a relationship, a religion of pitiful, misguided followers, and not a, relig a relationship between a living, gracious God and His beloved children. After all, the Bible does tells us, and it's up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ had not been risen from, or has not been raised, your faith... And my faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, therefore who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So who's got a last word on this? That Christ is risen? Or that you Christians... Your faith is futile. It is dead because Christ has not risen. Now, I want to share with you that I do have a very morbid hobby. And my morbid hobby is that I collect last words. You know what people say before they die? Okay, let me show you some. Some are very obvious. I die. These were the two last words of uh, Leonhard Euler. Those of you who do thermodynamics and and fluid dynamics, I, I did it as an aeronautical engineer. Euler's equation, one of the most difficult equations ever. He said this, a Swiss mathematician. The last two words is so obvious, I die. Then some are very ironic. This guy said, you couldn't hit an elephant at this distance, referring to somebody who was shooting. And his general, John Sedwick, he was an army general in the Union Army in America during the Civil War. And on May the 9th, 1864, he got shot by a sharpshooter. So I don't think he completed that sentence. He might have said, they couldn't kill an elephant at this. And then he died. Some are quirky. Pardon me, sir. Was spoken by Marie Antoinette, the Queen of France, in the 18th century, as she was walking to the block to place her head there 
so that the executioner would chop off her head. And she stepped on the foot of the executioner and said, pardon me, sir. And then she died. Some are humorous. Okay, you'll never understand this. Okay? His last words were, John Rogers did. Okay, what happened there? This guy, John Holmes, who lived in the 19th century, was a US lawyer. Okay, he's not famous. His brother is famous. His brother is Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the Supreme Court judges in America at the time. So John Holmes was at his deathbed. He was motionless for a long while. The nurse came and checked his pulse and thought she couldn't find a pulse. But she announced this. She said that she would feel his feet to see if they were warm. And the nurse said, if they are warm, then he's alive. Because nobody ever died with warm feet. At this point, John Holmes shocked everyone by sort of waking up and saying, John Rogers did, which means John Rogers did die with warm feet. Why? Because John Rogers was a Christian martyr who was burned at the stake. Some of us don't find it very funny. It is right, morbid. But we all know that last words are, are very important. Well, what were Jesus' last words? And they are some of the most amazingly gracious words ever spoken. As Jesus hangs on the cross, he makes seven statements before his death. Let me go, go through them one by one. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus forgave more than his tormentors, his torturers, and his killers. He forgave our sins, yours and mine. And this is amazing grace. Secondly, he said, today you will be with me in paradise, referring to one of the criminals who was crucified together with him. There were two. You've got to ask, what good did this criminal did to earn him paradise? He did nothing. He did nothing. He was a criminal all the way, and then he got executed justly for his crimes. But he turned to Jesus, and he asked Jesus to welcome him. And Jesus says, yes, purely on the basis of faith in Jesus. And his faith was not futile. His faith was not futile. And this is amazing grace. Thirdly, when Jesus saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing nearby as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he told his mother, woman, behold your son. So he introduced someone, John, to look after his mother when he died as he was suffocating to death on the cross. So you need to know that being hung on the cross, you don't die because of blood loss. You die of suffocation because you're unable to breathe. But he made sure that his mother was looked after, after his death. And this is amazing grace. Hung on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a moment of extreme anguish when the Creator had to turn away from the one who bore the sins of His creation, all of mankind's sins. Fifthly, He said, I thirst. And so Jesus was fully human, at the same time fully God. 
In another part of the Bible, it says that he, Jesus is not unable to sympathize with our weakness because he was in every respect as tempted as we are, as human as we are. And so he thirsts. And then, number six, Jesus said, it is finished. This word finish is translated as complete, completed in other usages in the New Testament. It is also translated as paid. It is fully paid. Um, in Matthew 17, 24, it talks about Jesus paying the temple tax. So paid, it is finished. I have paid. In Romans 13, verse 6, it talks about Again, paying of taxes. It is paid. It is finished. Those were the sixth words of Jesus before he died. And lastly, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And these seven statements came out of a supreme love for all of us. And we should be grateful for these last words of Jesus. Some of the most powerful, amazing words of grace ever spoken. So much so that it touched the heart of at least one witness that is recorded for us. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, when the centurion, a Roman soldier, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely, surely, he was the Son of God. Some 2,000 years later, as in now, Jesus has that same power to touch human hearts with His love and His grace. And today we have eight persons whose hearts were touched by His love and His grace, and they are going to be baptized later. You can read some of the testimonies. <coughs> One of them, Madala Srini Vasu uh, from Tuas, was so touched by that his life had a dramatic turnaround. You can read that later. Don't, don't try not to read it now. <laughs> because from, from drunkenness and, and, and unhealthy habits and pursuits, Jesus was able so to inspire him to turn his life around. And Srinivasu's last words, okay, he's still alive, so it's not last words. It's, it's the last words on his written testimony were, now I am totally delivered by his grace. And someone once asked this question. So what's so amazing about grace? Well, read the baptism, baptism the testimonies. Not all are as like, dramatic as uh, Srinivas' uh, but they all testify to one thing, the amazing grace of God, the amazing grace of Jesus. Grace. It's like you know it when you see it, and when you see it, you want to share it. And that is why Christianity is a proselytizing faith. Okay, we can't help it, right? Whatever the law is. And fortunately, in Singapore, there is no law against proselytizing. But even if there were, we cannot help ourselves. Because as recipients of Amazing Grace, we have to share it. And that is why our Telugu brothers are so keen, when you read the testimonies, to share their faith. Especially with those who have come to join them here in Singapore as, as foreign workers. That is why our brother Samson is willing to give up his job to be trained as a Christian minister. That's why we invite friends here to church, especially 
on Easter Sunday. A few months ago, I took a picture. I took this picture. It's, uh, it's a scene of amazing grace. I was walking down the road here, going to take a bus, and I saw Uncle Chikong walking up here, the slope here, which is sort of steep for um, an elderly man. And then two foreign workers appeared by his side and held his arm and escorted him up the slope to church. And it was a beautiful scene of grace, of kindness. Okay, you might be wondering, why is this pastor not helping the man? Is they going to take photograph? <laughs> okay, you can see that I got no more space to go in, okay? I got no more space. These two guys were so good already. So I, I just, I saluted the workers, I thanked them, and I encouraged them. Okay, so I'm not so bad after all. <coughs> well, it was this writer, Philip Yancey, who, um, who wrote this book, What's So Amazing About Grace. There isn't a whole lot of analysis uh, about grace in this book. You know, it's difficult to analyze grace. And they're mostly stories, stories of grace and the opposite of grace, what Philip Yancey calls ungrace. And stories of ungrace can make your blood boil. So grace is best understood from from stories. Let me tell you two. These two stories are about parking tickets, some of our most favorite, uh, favorite gifts that we receive from the government. In Hong Kong, they are called Ngao Yok Kwan. Beef jerkies, I don't know why. Okay, in Hong Kong it's called beef jerky. But here, parking ticket. Okay, this one. This one is mine. Okay, you probably can't read. I went to the, to the West Coast Park, you know, bring the dog there for a run and all that. And on a Saturday, and I forgot to put parking coupon. Because these days you don't, right? You just drive in the ERP and all that. So I forgot. And then I got this ticket. Oh my goodness, I got a ticket. And then I read it carefully. It says, no enforcement action will be taken in relation to the infringement in this instance. No payment is required. Hey, these are the sweetest words ever heard from the government from the Republic of Singapore. <laughs> and then I, I show you another one. This one uh, is from a church member. Okay, this is not mine. This church member is, it was given just up the road. Okay, somebody parked there and uh, got this. And it says here, in view of your good record, we will not be taking any action against you this time. Please note that we may not exercise leniency for similar offences in the future. <gasps> Have you ever got to come across this? It's like unheard of. Have we parking criminals just experienced grace from a PAP government? Hallelujah! Who says there are no more miracles in this day and age? Two miracles here. Okay, what is grace? What is grace? Well, some have defined it this way. Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Unmerited, undeserved favor or benefit or kindness, like these two examples. Now let me turn to a more famous story or parable that Jesus told. I think many of us will know it. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me just read it from Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, to appreciate this story fully, you need to know that to a Jew, a Samaritan is a hated mongrel race. Mixed race, mixed religion. Um, Okay, now that I have a dog, I have learned that the politically correct way to call a mongrel dog is Singapore special. So you never call a mongrel dog a mongrel, okay? Singapore special is now the politically correct name. Well, the main thing about the Samaritan race were that they had the wrong religion. They were religiously incorrect. They were not worshipping the God of the Jews. And as the Good Samaritan story goes, first a priest came by, a supposedly religiously correct person. He saw the poor man, injured, half dead, and he He passed by on the other side. Perhaps he was thinking, what if this man were dead? If I touch him, I would become religiously unclean, ceremonially unclean. Then I cannot go to the temple. Or what he was thinking, what if he were a bait? It's a fake injury. And then his accomplices are nearby, ready to jump out, to rob, and then to kill me. And so he passed by on the other side, ignoring an injured, half-dead man. Well, priests are descendants of Aaron, the brother, the older brother of uh, Moses. And you can expect a priest to pray a lot, or you expect a pastor to pray a lot. You can expect a priest, especially in those days, to have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. You can expect a priest to be like preparing a sermon all the time, maybe about a Bible verse such as love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, that is, that is found in the Old Testament. In, it's found in Leviticus. So the priest would have memorized this verse. Leviticus 19 verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Maybe this priest knew that someone was going to be coming up the road after him. So he said, I'll leave this grace business to this guy. I'm too busy preparing sermons about love and grace. And then came this guy up the road, a Levite. And this Levite too avoided this poor, injured, half-dead man. Levites are one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Their mission as a tribe is to help the priests to do all the ceremonial, religious work. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So they're sort of like down the totem pole, already lower. And this Levite must be thinking, this so-called religiously correct priest ahead of me, haven't I helped him enough? Since he can siam, since he can avoid this poor, injured, half-dead man, I also can siam. I also can avoid. And so he did. He walked by on the other side, and he just ignored this man. And finally, a Samaritan came along, 
A Samaritan went out of his way to help this poor, injured, half-dead man. And I was just thinking, if I were the injured, half-dead man, I might have been thinking, what is the use of religion? What is the use of religious people like the priest or the Levite when it is not translated into love and grace? But it was a man from a hated race who showed me amazing grace. This Samaritan loved his non-Samaritan neighbor as himself, like the two foreign workers who had the grace to help Uncle Chikong up the road here. What is the opposite of the good Samaritan? Simple question. The bad Samaritan. Okay, I found one. Google is so wonderful. I googled bad Samaritan and I found this in Time magazine. Uh, 20, uh, 2001, there was a bad Samaritan by the name of David Cash. And he was even featured on television in uh, American TV, CBS, and this very uh, interesting program called 60 Minutes. Let me now show you a clip of who this bad Samaritan was. Everybody, or almost everybody, is familiar with the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan who stops to help a wounded man lying by the side of the road. And most of us would like to believe we would do the same. We'd also like to believe that a young college student like David Cash would have been Good Samaritan enough to have stepped in and done something, anything, when he saw another young man, his best friend, assaulting a little girl who minutes later his best friend raped and murdered. But for the past few months, David Cash has been the subject of nationwide outrage over his decision to walk away and not even report the rape and murder of seven-year-old Sharice Iverson. The 19-year-old Cash, a sophomore at the University of California at Berkeley and a nuclear engineering major, has become an outcast on campus. We want Cash out! We want Cash out! Many of his fellow students there are demanding the university expel him. They are infuriated not only by his failure to save Sharice Iverson, but also by remarks he made this summer on a Los Angeles radio program. How much am I supposed to, to sit down and cry about this? I mean, ha- I mean, let's be reasonable here. Is my life supposed to halt for, like, for days, weeks, and months on end? And if that weren't bad enough, he added this. The simple fact remains, I do not know this little girl. I do not know starving children in Panama. I do not know, you know, people that die of disease in Egypt. What do you think? Well, his best friend went to a Las Vegas casino, saw this little girl, seven-year-old Sharice Iverson, walk into the toilet, the best friend walk in. A few minutes later, I think 20 minutes later, David Cash went in the toilet, saw what happened, they came out, and then they continued to play video games in all the casinos in Las Vegas, and then they drove back, I believe it's about eight hours, to Los Angeles. That's what happened. But they were caught on CCTV, and then somebody identified them, and that's, that's how they were caught. So if a good Samaritan is one helping someone, a good Samaritan is one showing grace, What is the opposite of grace? What is the opposite of a good Samaritan? I know it's bad Samaritan. But what about opposite of grace? What is the opposite of grace? Is the opposite of grace 
obnoxiousness or, or nastiness or meanness or as Philip Yancey calls it, just ungrace. Ungrace. Now I suggest that the opposite of grace is not just being nasty or mean or even immoral, but indifferent. The opposite of grace is indifference. Is I don't care. It's not my problem. Now if that is the definition of ungrace, who among us are not guilty? Indeed, that is the definition in the Bible. It says James, uh, from James chapter 4, verse 17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this is the impossibly high standard that God has for conduct and behavior. And that is why we don't need a teacher to teach us not to sin. We need a saviour to save us from our sin. We don't need someone to instruct us to be good. We need someone to inspire us to goodness and to grace. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I believe that the Good Samaritan didn't ask, if I don't help this poor, injured, half-dead man, what becomes of him? Instead, I think the Good Samaritan asked, if I don't help this poor, injured, half-dead man, what becomes of me? If I know what is right to do and I fail to do it, what becomes of me? We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our sins. What happened on Good Friday? What happened? Amazing grace happened on Good Friday. That someone got punished on Good Friday on our behalf. Someone for maybe easier to understand uh, modern day terms. Somebody took a bullet for us. Somebody ran in front of the bus, pushed us out of the way and got knocked down by the bus to save us. So let me present the ultimate good Samaritan, Jesus Christ. Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. He was vilified. People spat on his face. He was tortured and he was killed because he was not politically correct or even religiously correct. He called out the hypocrisy of the priest and the Levites. But he commended the religiously incorrect and the relationally correct Samaritan. He saw amazing grace in the Good Samaritan. And it's not about religion. It's about love and relationship and grace. And we celebrate Easter because this ultimate Good Samaritan Jesus rose from the dead to continue in that loving relationship with those who follow him, many of us. Jesus didn't just teach good things. He didn't just live an exemplary life and then died and vanished from the face of the earth 2,000 years ago. He rose from the dead and continues to live among his followers. He is not some clockmaker God who made the clock and then just left it to tick by itself. He's not some absentee landlord who left us living on earth to work things out for ourselves. Instead, he has an ongoing relationship with each one of us who are grateful for sins forgiven, who depend on him for each minute of our lives. And this is amazing grace. 
Now, can I create another story of Amazing Grace? Let me try. You remember this guy? Anyone? Michael Fay. At that time, 18 years old, arrested with a few others for vandalizing. Vandalizing 18 cars over 10 days. The year was 1993, too long ago for some of you young ones. And he was sentenced to six strokes of the cane. And then President Clinton himself at the time pleaded with President Nathan, our president, for clemency. In the end, got four strokes, got discount. But imagine this. Imagine this. That President Nathan decided to go to Changi Prison on that day of the caning. He took off his presidential pants and he allowed himself to be strapped onto that structure. And he took not four strokes, but he took the six strokes. And then he adopted Michael Fay as his godson, invited him to live with him in the Istana and to join him in curry and papadam at his presidential table. That would have been amazing grace. And then how do you think Michael Fay would have responded to such an act of amazing grace? The Son of God who loves you, who gave himself for you on the cross, on the cross that was reserved for the worst of all criminals. He's risen to be our counsellor and our guide and our, our ever-present help. Now let me ask, how would you respond to such love and to such grace? Our response can be as simple as ABC. A, acknowledge that we will never reach the standard of conduct or behaviour that God has set. If what we know is right and we don't do it, it is sin. Who among us is not guilty? And so we need to acknowledge our imperfection, our sin. Call it sin. Sin. And then B, to believe in our heart that someone has died to save us from our sins. And then C, to confess with our lips. And how do we confess with our lips? We confess in a prayer. And I'm going to lead you in that very short prayer to confess, to acknowledge, to believe, to confess. And then to follow our Lord Jesus all the days of our lives. And soon after that, publicly in baptism, tell the whole world that I'm a follower of Jesus as some of our brothers and sisters are going to do today. So that's that. So why don't we just bow and close our eyes and just come before the Lord and if you have never come to that point of faith of the acknowledgement of sin of the belief in a saviour and to confess our sin and to call upon him to be our master then I want to lead you in this prayer and you can just say in your heart after me. Lord God, I know I will never reach the standard of conduct and behavior that you have set. And I know that I am a sinner. I sin. I don't only do that which is wrong, but I don't do that which is right. So Lord, I need a savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've died for my sins on the cross. 
I acknowledge you as my Saviour. I confess you as Lord and Master. And I commit to you that I want to follow you all the days of my life on earth and then when you welcome me to heaven as well. So take me, a sinner, make me a child of God, worship you. In Jesus' name, I pray. That is the confession of your lips. As we bow, continue to bow, I want to ask, if you have said that prayer, if you have said that prayer, then would you, while every eye is closed, and as our heads are bowed, then would you just raise up your hand so that at least you let me know, give me some encouragement. If you have said that prayer, then would you just raise your hand and put it down again. If you feel the Lord speaking to you, tugging at your heartstrings, there is a struggle in your heart now. You say, for all these years, I have not believed in anything like that. Why should I want to do it now? Would you just open up your heart? To not, not to religion, to somebody who's going to give you all kinds of rules, but to a relationship with the living God who rose at, Christ, uh, at, at Easter. Open up your heart. As we are seated, let's sing this song for Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King of love. Who shakes the whole with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings, who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes Like this sun, 
Respond to this amazing grace. Would you give your life over to be made new? It's not going to be some dead religious activities that you're sub- submitting to, but submission to a God of love, a God of grace. would really have no meaning if it would just be one of material pursuits or even religious duties if it were not a relationship of love and grace what would life be? so come to the Saviour acknowledge our sins believe in the Saviour confess with our lips and then publicly testify of our faith through the waters of baptism our next baptism will be the first Sunday of June 5th of June you can do that too so let me close in prayer but let me invite you once again maybe just one last time that if you have prayed this prayer of giving your life over to the Lord Jesus Just pop your hand up and down very quickly and then I will end. Thank you. Let's close. Lord God, we are so thankful to you that on Good Friday, you would give your life for us. You would be tortured. You would be spat upon. And you would 
give it all up for us so that you could take our sins upon the cross and be done with the punishment. We thank you that you welcome us as your children through no effort of our own, but simply through grace, through faith. And that you continue to live with us to enable us to be good Samaritans, to live a life of grace, of kindness. Not so much to earn your favour, but in gratitude for your love for us. And so God, would you now bless each one here as we leave this hall. Would you inspire us to amazing grace that we will make life worth living, not just for ourselves, but for everyone you place across our path. And that we will have compassion, we will have kindness, we will have amazing grace. And this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. We're going to have a baptism downstairs at level one in just five minutes, so please do make your way down. Jesus, I sing for you.